You know, we thought as we finish up the book of Philippians, we would try and uh, take you musically on the journey that we've been on, because we began with this idea that God is in heaven, that place of glory that we just heard about, that place of hallelujah where the angels come into God's presence and celebrate. We also learned that that same God humbled himself to be like us, to serve us, to make himself of no reputation. Dying on a cross, even not just death, but death on a cross. And through that, God exalted him, raised him from the dead, and now he is crowned on high. He is back in that place, that hallelujah place of glory, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Christ the Lord. That because of his sacrifice, because of his giving of himself and his body, we get to know with confidence that we are going to be in that place of hallelujah presence with God because of the message of Christmas and the message of the cross. We've also learned in this series that every part of this book basically summarizes or complements that poem. So the last portion of Philippians today we're on is Philippians 4, 10 to 23, which is this pattern of Christmas giving and receiving. Then the same way God gave of his life on the cross, because of his giving of himself, he found the glory. He was rewarded by being crowned in heaven. That we sometimes forget that by giving of ourselves, we receive something far more eternal. We can, we can store up treasures, earthly treasures that moth and rust can destroy, or we can store up as Jesus heavenly treasures. We forget that we can learn to be content regardless of our circumstances. We sometimes forget that God is faithful. We forget what he did for us. We forget where we're headed. We forget where we're from. So in this portion today, we're going to talk about how to deal with that spiritual amnesia. That spiritual amnesia that makes us act like our heroes. If you remember in Philippi, we learned they had a, a heroine. And the heroine is where they would celebrate their heroes. And their heroes were people like Hercules. People who lived their life to exalt themselves. But our hero, the hero we're talking about, is a hero of Jesus who gave of himself to serve and to die for you and I because we are so loved, because he saw us in need, because he wants us to know the glory of being with him in heaven. But we forget. We forget our heroes, we forget our pattern, we forget what really matters. So we're going to talk today about how to overcome that spiritual amnesia that we all experience by putting certain rhythms in our life, certain rhythms that flow out of the rhythms Jesus had in his life, certain rhythms that flow out of the, the rhythm that, G, that Paul encouraged us to do, the patterns he set for us. If you remember, this book has talked about the Christmas poem is really a pattern for living. Paul said it several different ways, but throughout the book to set up this chapter, he says, remember, brethren, I want you to follow my example. He also mentions the word pattern. Now at last, your care for me has flourished again. See, God wants us to flourish again. They flourished before, but they flourish again. And then he says... That part of your spiritual amnesia is this rhythm of of knowing that you can learn. Learn what? You can learn contentment from Jesus. You can learn contentment from the power of resurrection he puts in you. Everywhere and in all things I have learned. So there are ways to learn, not to have spiritual amnesia. There's ways to learn what really matters. There's ways to learn the priorities of heaven by setting up three rhythms in our life. Well, this first one sets up this idea of what we can learn. It's the first rhythm. Learn to be content 
by depending on Christ's strength within me rather than the circumstances around me. I mean, if we're honest, how many of us find our joy or happiness based on the circumstances around us? I do. I do. Things are going well, I feel well. Things not going well, I don't feel so well. And you might have a different category or flavor than me. Some people might be your job, some people might be your marriage, might be your kid's obedience. It might be, you know, whether or not you get the next deal. But in some way, our joy or our contentment is determined by our circumstances around us. And Paul's saying you can learn a rhythm that your contentment comes from Christ's strength within you. Look how he says it. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care before, but you lacked opportunity. Now, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. Well, I see that, I immediately go, okay, well, it's not something you either have or you don't. It's something you have to learn to get. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That sounds true. (laughs) That sounds like the kind of thing I want to be true, but that is hard to live out. Can you be content whatever state you're in? Paul says he learned it. It didn't come naturally. He learned to do it. Then he says, I know something that lets me do it. I know how to be abased, and I know how to bound. Everywhere, there's whatever, everywhere, and in all things, here it is again, I have learned both to be full, oh, I like being full, but also how to be hungry. Both to abound, I like abounding, and also to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you always see this verse on the back of like somebody who's just, you know, scored a touchdown or trying to win a game. But actually, the strength God gives you, the all things that Christ strengthens you for, is to learn how to be content in any situation. It's fine if he helps you score a football game. But the strength God gives you, the strength in you, is to teach you how to learn how to be content in any and every situation. Now, Paul has certainly done that. He's learned how to rejoice himself regardless of the circumstances. And this, I can do all things, I can learn contentment through Christ who strengthens me. The word strength here is a a Greek word, dunamo or dunamas. It's where we get the idea of dynamic or dynamite or duo. It's the explosive power that God wants to put the, the power of dynamite in you that it can blow up the contentment that comes only from your circumstances. It can empower you or strengthen you or enable you to be content in any situation. Well, that's true. I think a lot of times I'm not accessing that. I'm praying that the circumstance around me get better, but not accessing the power, the dunamis offered to me to be content in any and every situation. Here's the two things Paul knew. Here's what allowed him to face everything. Whatever I face, I know Christ will strengthen me. I don't like that big trial coming, but I know a big trial comes with big grace to empower me. And I also know, based on this Christmas poem, that whatever I give, whatever I sacrifice, whatever challenges I face, I will be rewarded like Jesus was rewarded. Jesus faced incredible challenges on the cross, and he was rewarded with every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And Jesus says that when you live for me, when you give up father and mother, when you sacrifice yourself, when you give of yourself, 
you will hear the words of your father, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then he says, great is your reward. Some get tenfold reward, some get sixtyfold reward, some get a hundredfold reward. That there are rewards that come from how we sacrifice and give, even in difficult circumstances. Now, Paul certainly knows that. He knows how to mobilize himself. Okay, it's about Christ's strength in me, not about the circumstances around me. He had to know this. He had to remind himself of this. He had to to meditate on this. It's about Christ's strength in me, not the circumstances around me. And that way, whether I abound or am abased, whether need I'm in, whether I'm full or I'm hungry, whether I abound or I'm need, the circumstances don't determine my joy. Rather, what determines my contentment is Christ strengthening me, his strength in me. As we have seen, Paul has had some pretty challenging circumstances. He's lived in a place like this for months, and he said, I found a way to find joy and contentment in there. Really? Yeah. Christ strengthened me in there. But he also grew up very wealthy. It says he was born a Roman citizen. Many people think his dad or his father worked for Mark Anthony as a tent maker and was gifted, or he earned enough money to buy a Roman citizenship. So Paul grew up with great wealth and great influence. So when he says, I know how to abound, he knew how to abound. This is like a Lego model of what a, a wealthy Roman city would have looked like, or a home would have looked like, rather, in the first century. Paul knew it was to live like that, to live in these kind of cultures. He knows how to interact with, with, with Agrippa and Felix and the wealthy Caesars. He knows all the customs. He's used to being wealthy. He learned to be content there, but he also could be content in prison because he knew God would reward him for the way in which he would give and serve and sacrifice. Listening to an interview with uh, Kevin Sorbo, he was a Hercules in uh, Paramount's Hercules. It was the number one show for many, many years running by Paramount. He was not a Christian. They were shooting mostly in, uh, in New Zealand. In fact, uh, later on when they shot you know, Lord of the Rings in New Zealand, it's because of the work that was done by Hercules as a TV series. He's doing incredibly well. He loved working out. He loved being Hercules. He loved kind of being famous. But he wasn't a follower of Jesus. One day he goes into the doctor as he was pumping iron, and all of a sudden his arm just suddenly was on fire. He would find out the three blood clocks in his arm would immediately fly up and move up, rather, to his head. And he would have this migraine-level headache that would not go away for three years. He'll have to relearn how to walk. He would constantly, matter where he was, he'd have the sensation he was falling over whether he was sitting down or standing up. And suddenly everything that brought him joy, working out, being a movie star, everything that brought him strength was pulled out from underneath him in a second. As he began the process of recovering and all the pain and all the agony, what's my life going to look like if I've lost everything? His wife, a follower of Jesus kept praying for him, kept encouraging him, kept giving him hope when he was in despair. It was during that process, the mighty Hercules, who couldn't even work out because it's so painful, couldn't even watch TV because it just made the migraines worse, had to look inward and find out what real meaning and real purpose came from. It was the joy and purpose of Jesus his wife had that he eventually became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote a book called True Strength. In the book True Strength... I think the subtitle is 
how Hercules became a mere mortal, and how almost dying saved my life. Paramount, the show was so popular, they kept shooting with him, but he couldn't do 10 to 12 hour days anymore, so he had to create this little, this little butt seat he could sit on. So he's, he looks like he's standing in the shots, but he's actually sitting because he couldn't keep balanced. And they did that for several more seasons, but he could only shoot for like a, an hour or two a day, and so they just worked in the close-ups of him, and his body double did the rest. And he said it was through that process he began to realize that his life wasn't his fame, it wasn't his muscles, it was actually something deeper. And he became a follower of Jesus and he learned how to find the same kind of joy as a mere mortal who couldn't even stand up at some time as he did when he was the famous Hercules, the most popular TV show in the world. How about you? Are you accessing the dunamis of Jesus, the power to allow you to be content in any circumstance? Do you define your, your joy by what God has done in you or is available to you or by your circumstances around you. That rhythm comes from Jesus. It empowers us. The second rhythm he mentions here is that we need to unlearn some things. We have to unlearn the culture's view of we flourish when we receive versus Christ's view that we flourish through giving. That giving brings flourishing, not receiving. I rejoiced with you and the Lord greatly. At last, your care for me has flourished again. Now notice the word flourish and notice again. There's this resurrection idea. It just keeps coming back to flourish, to be revived again. Now you've had opportunity before. It's, it's not that you lacked it, but, but now this opportunity has come your way. And when it came, I got to see you living out this idea of giving of yourself the same way Jesus gave for you. Then he goes on, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well in that you have shared with me in my distress. You saw my needs and you partnered with me with those needs. Now you Philippians know that in the very beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you alone. Now look at that. This is just startling to me. Paul has started church after church after church after church after church. He's giving of his life, sacrificing his life, encouraging people to come together. Let's help people learn how, what it means to know about Jesus. Invite a, a place where we can invite our friends. But no one of all the churches he started is giving financially at all. Except the Philippians. Who just keep saying we're going to give for our community to grow people and to reach our friends. Because our friends in Philippi have a lot but they don't know Jesus. But they also gave so he could start other environments to grow people spiritually and invite their friends. I mean look at that. No church shared with me in giving and receiving, but you alone. And you think about Christianity through history. That prior to Christianity, one historian says that there is no trace of organized charitable giving anywhere in history prior to Christianity. That Christianity brought this new idea of how do we help and care and find out the best way to give. We'll receive in heaven our rewards, but let's give. Let's give to people in need. And that was contrasted with what the Philippians would have grown up in in Rome. One historian says that in Rome, no one gives anything to anyone if they can help it. Whew. Yet Paul and Lydia, remember the church started when he walked up to this little stream. Lydia, not a follower of Jesus, but interested in God. All of her friends, a seller of purple. It was a high-end commodity. Only royalty could buy purple. 
these high-end business leaders gather together. They're introduced to Jesus through Paul. And Paul says, let's start a place here where people can grow and let's create environments to invite our friends because they were God-fearers. God-fearers were kind of like people who were checking out synagogue and they want to create a church for both the God-fearers, people checking it out, and for those who were followers of Jesus. But what Paul and Lydia did here in this church, no other church did. They became generosity generators. They became a factory of thinking about how do we give and receive to create missional places to grow people and to reach people. And yet motivated in a unique way. I think that gets into this third rhythm because this third rhythm is so significant. This seems to be what the Philippians got from that Christmas poem that no one else got in those other churches, at least not up front. That we can relearn the resurrection motivation for giving. We don't give out of guilt or shame or duty or honor. Those are all good things to give for, the duty and honor. But actually what really motivates us is the resurrection of Jesus, that power in us. Look how he says it. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Of all the words he could use here, remember this is, is mirroring that poem, he uses the word flourished, which literally comes from a word that means to revive again, to resurrect again, to rise up again. So he's saying to flourish again means to rise up again. This resurrection power comes up in you again, again. You keep tapping into this resurrection power that you get from Christ who strengthens you. As I mentioned already, the word Strengthen is dunamas, but it's actually a, a verb here. But he uses the same word dunamas when he's talking in Corinthians about your ability to give financially. He talks about growing in the grace of giving. And it, what it says in English is abounding in the riches of, of your liberality, giving liberally of your riches. Then he says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, same word dunamis, but it's now a noun. Yes, you gave even beyond your ability, dunamis. You were freely willing to give. And that passage says, because Jesus who was rich became poor, so that through his poverty we could be rich in Christ. Paul saying in Romans, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That the resurrection power is what motivates us to give. The dunamis. Because Jesus gave of himself, was raised from the dead, and crowned. And that pattern of giving and receiving is built in to reality. It's built into the spiritual dimension. It's built into how we find joy and contentment. That's what he's getting at here. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for me. You just kept looking for ways to financially support what I was doing. Not that I even seek the gift. The gift has been very helpful. It's helped us finance a lot of things. But I'm really seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. You grow. God's doing stuff in you when you grow. When you tap in that resurrection power and it flows through your financial giving, you get fruit in your life from that. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full. I receive from Ephroditus the things you sent me. And I got to tell you guys, your gift was like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. An acceptable sacrifice. When you give financially, by the, motivated by the resurrection of Jesus to God's work and God's church, it is an acceptable sacrifice. It is well-pleasing to God. And it's going to deposit in you the reminder that God's going to supply all your needs according to the riches you already have, the eternal riches, in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, our, to our God and Father glory forever. Amen. 
And here's what that means. If you've never seen Paul's missionary journeys, Paul is going to go around the Mediterranean three times. And each time he's going to stop. Look at all these churches that he's going to start. And of all these churches that he's starting on his first and second missionary journey, of all the places he's starting trying to start these spiritual communities, as he starts them, the Philippians have been financing every single one of these missionary journeys. The other churches aren't supporting themselves yet, and they're not supporting other people. But the Philippians are like, you know what? Somebody create a synagogue to reach us when we were God-fearers. We want to create a church to, to grow us now that we're Christ followers and to reach people like us when we were God-fearers. So they were giving financially to Thessalonica and other places to say, we want to fund the kind of things that change people's eternal destiny. So then Paul takes a third missionary journey. Here's where he goes on a third missionary journey. And again, I don't know why the other churches didn't give. Maybe they're like, uh, I don't know if Paul needs it. He's not nagging about it all the time. But Paul didn't want to make money the issue. He wanted to make knowing Christ the issue. Or maybe they said to themselves, well, I'm not giving financially because the Philippians are taking care of it. They've been paying for the last three missionary journeys. But the Philippians somehow got this idea that I want to be part of investing in places that change the world and change people's eternal destinies. It's the same thing we're doing as a church. We're trying to take this mission that, that Lydia and Paul got because of the resurrection power of Jesus. How do we create a place where people can experience the joy and wonder of God's grace? Not just for us to grow ourselves, but also to create a place for the God-fears, the people who don't yet know God. And what's our mission statement as a church? Right, we're trying to comfortably connect people to God through a community of growing Christ followers. I mean, I think we're the only church I know of in the whole country who's trying to a two-service design, an evangelism service and a discipleship service. And, you know, there's kind of two ways to fundraise. One way is the keep knocking at your door method. You know, every week you hear somebody say, yeah, we really need your money, really need your money, really need your money, really need your money. You're like, oh, you're still knocking on the door? And it wears people out, the people doing it, the people hearing it. And that's the approach we could take. We could have a big thermometer and what our budget is and how much we need and, and how much we're lacking or whatever. We could do that. But we have not taken the knock on your door approach. We've kind of taken the look around the room approach. Look around the room what God's doing. Look at the way you've grown. Every week, just last week, I had a family who was in tears talking about how our children's ministry has meant that much to them, how they've contextualized, how they've customized to their individual child. We keep knocking the door, just look around the room. Like Lydia, you know what it's like to run a business or to run something professional, how expensive it is? Lydia and they're like, hey, we know how expensive it is to build these communities. We want to invest in that kind of thing. It's not just what we do on Sundays, too. As much as you see what happens on Sundays, in the last... 14 days, I've been part of five funerals. And there is nothing more sacred and emotionally hard, I gotta say, but also beautiful than giving hope to people who've lost a husband or a father. I almost wish I didn't cry at all these funerals, but walking down that aisle with a widow, with a son, with a daughter, And to have that family say, hey, we lost him too soon or lost her too soon, but man, use this opportunity. All our friends are going to be there to talk about the gospel. We had this room packed from wall to wall just a couple Saturdays ago, sharing the incredible faith 
and walking with faith and learning how to be content even facing a terminal diagnosis. The people each week, we have a staff meeting every week where we talk about what God is doing and every week we hear stories uh, firsthand or from another staff member talking about people who look around the room. I'm in a Bible study. I've never been in a place where I love learning the Bible. I've never been in a place where I learned about the Bible. I've never been in a place where my, 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 my son or my, my father who, who doesn't like going to church says, hey, let's go to church. I'm enjoying it. I'm learning something. So I can tell you, let me show you just some of the ways God is working. It has just been amazing this last year. We have seen a 74% increase and those who are enjoying our services and learning from our services. If you look at what's happened since 2019 to now, we have found that 74% increase in those who are enjoying our services. Some of us are enjoying our services in here. Some of us are enjoying it on home and watching online. Some of you travel a lot, and so you watch when you're not here. You watch when you're at home. Just a few weeks ago, I had somebody come in. They said, Chad, we've been watching this series, What If Jesus Never Born, the last two weeks because we were out of town or at a different home. But we're here this weekend with our family. Can't wait to see it. It's changed the dynamics of how we're doing ministry the last couple of years. With that, we are finding that people are watching our services when they're not here in town on all these different platforms. Some on TV, some on Facebook, some on mobile sites, websites, and some on audios. And so trying to figure out how to invest our money, how do we keep up with all the different technologies we're doing that are serving our community and beyond. Man, I even want to thank you for your giving. Thank you for the ways you've faithfully given to God's work. We started with like 40 givers when we started years ago. We now have over 600 families that give. And so we're trying to strategically figure out how to keep up with what God's doing and how to prepare things and how to create services that really are dynamic both for those who are, who are watching from home and those who are watching from here. How do we create that experience for everybody? And let me tell you, it's been exciting and unique that we now have, all of our research shows, that we have two people watching online or from home for every one person in the room. And that's across all services. And that's somebody who's either watching live with us or somebody who is watching within the next five days. For every one person in the room, we actually have double right now watching our service, both at our equipping service and at our exploring service. So it's really got us to think about how do we meet our congregation's needs, um, whether they're here, whether they're there, whether you're sitting in your living room, whether you're sitting in our room. It's been pretty amazing. And, and beyond that, you know, when we try and figure out how to spend our money, here's kind of where our money goes in a given year. Weekend services, 31%. Children's student ministries, that's 16%. If you look at our adult ministries and outreach, 15%. IT and communication, 6%. And this one may not shock you, but 17% for facilities is shocking. Most churches and parachurch organizations, that number is huge, sometimes over 40 or 50%. But because of the financial giving, four-year pledges, three-year pledges, two-year pledges when we got in this building. Because when we decided to put in camera equipment right before COVID, miraculous timing by God, the faithful giving of you, the way you've continued to faithfully give to our church, we have no debt on this building. So every time you give to the church, we're paying to, this facility you know, costly to run, but none of it goes to debt service. Because how incredible you have been. And I feel a lot like Paul saying, man, you guys have been so generous. There's not some foundation somewhere. There's not some, some, some uh, endowment that pays for what we do. We do what we do because of your faithful giving. And part of your faithful giving means we have no debt service on the building. So every amount of money we do feeds into what we're trying to do every week, giving into people. And then 14% for administration to support it. 
And let me tell you kind of what's planned for next year because it is very exciting. And it's not just your money giving, it's actually your time too. You think about our Horizon team. You know, 14% of us are offering plate compensated like myself, right? Your giving goes to my salary and to other staff salary. But we're trying to equip the saints. So if you look at the amount of volunteers it takes to run a children's ministry, to greet people you adore, we have 86% of us who are volunteering every week. That's how we get what's done around here. As we're praying about this year, I hope you'll, like the Philippians, pray about what God would call you to do at the end of the year. Because we kind of take the end of the year as a chance to say, hey, what's God discerning that we should do? And how do we strategically put those resources into the endeavors that the elders and exec board have been praying about? Let me tell you a couple of those because it's really exciting. Starting in January, we're going to give you an insert. And it's going to give you kind of four months of where we're headed, where we're going, what's planned. And in that, we've got some incredible series planned for next year. After we finish Philippians, we're going to do a series on 2 Kings. So 2 Kings, we've got these gigantic chess pieces. We're going to go through 2 Kings. We're going to study the life of Elisha. He did the most miracles of anyone in the Bible except Jesus. And we're going to learn what it looks like for God to be our first king, not our second king in our life. If you're inviting friends to our exploring service, the Live and Learn series based on Proverbs, we're going to have interviews, video interviews we have on Tony Dungy, uh, Paralympian, uh, Sean Johnson, an Olympian, uh, Jonathan Kane, writer for uh, Journey's uh, song, Don't Stop Believing, and they're going to talk about how they came to faith in Jesus. So if you want an excuse to invite somebody to our 11 o'clock service, that live and learn service is going to be perfect for that. Then we're doing a whole series on science. We're interviewing science in our congregation. I've talked to doctors in our congregation. We're preparing for a way to show how science points its way to Jesus in a series called Down to a Science. We also are going to have incredible interviews next year. I'll give you a couple of them. Chad Johnson, Chad Williams rather, you know he's got to be tough because his name's Chad. Um, he is a Navy SEAL, and I'm going to be interviewing him at all three services, and he's going to talk about how the book of 2 Kings brought him to Christ as a Navy SEAL. It's going to be an incredible interview all three services. David Nasser was an Is, uh, practiced Islam for many, many years, and he's going to talk about his journey from Islam to Christianity, all three services. Great series to invite people to. Talk about different religions and, and the grace and uniqueness of Christianity. We're bringing in Shanti Feldhahn. She's a, a Harvard-trained researcher, specializes in marriage and family. She's going to describe to us, teach us the research behind how women think and how men think. We're going to do marriage seminars on how to understand each other. And she and her husband are going to do that workshop together. These are just a few of the pieces of what we're planning to do for next year because, again, thank you for your giving. It's allowing us to create environments like Lydia and Paul did. How do we grow ourselves and how do we also create environments that uniquely reach people for Christ? That's why I love what Paul says here. Paul says, here's what I want you to do in conclusion to this book. I want you to create a rhythm in your life of giving and receiving to Christ's bride, the church to these communities that are designed to change people's destinies by introducing them to Christ. So give to Christ's bride and give to Christ's priorities through Christ's power. Here's the piece I love. The thing sent from you, the financial giving you gave to the church, was a sweet-smelling aroma. Now that doesn't mean as much to us, but if you're Jewish and you walked into Tabernacle... You could always smell the sacrifices. And it usually smelled like a cookout because they were cooking lamb or they're cooking meat because they're giving sacrifices. So if you are a meat eater like me, you love the smell of a barbecue. And it's like, oh, I'm starting to salivate thinking of that. Think, think of how a barbecue impacts you. 
And maybe if you're, if you're not, if you're vegetarian, you know, think of, uh, I don't know, I just made some asparagus for my wife the other day, a little lemon pepper and lemons, and, and the smell or taste of something that's not barbecue. Jesus says that when you give financially to his work, to his bride, in the same way that fills the room or fills the backyard or fills the porch with the smell of barbecue, your financial giving by trusting in Christ and his resurrection power is like a sweet-smelling aroma. Filling the heavens with the smell of barbecue as God looks down and says, "Ah, well done. You're getting what it means to live out the resurrection power of Jesus. An acceptable sacrifice. You're learning how to be content because you're trusting in my power. You're unlearning the culture sense it's all about me, not about giving. And you've learned that resurrection motivates us to give to others to come and find what we found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the incredible things you're doing at our church. We thank you for the way that you have used the, the giving of time, treasure, and talents in this room to transform our community, our neighbors, and our friends. We thank you for the weekly stories. We know many churches would long to hear stories of people coming to Christ, people exploring their faith. And God, you have just been so generous with us, giving us opportunities to reach out to friends through funerals, through children's programs, through comedy nights, through all these things, Father. We're just so grateful for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one last thing before I let you go, just two other exciting things that are coming up or ways we can serve is um, we're going to have a Christmas service. And we've gone over the years from three to five to seven. We're now up to nine. So we're doing nine Christmas Eve services. Half of those, uh, about half, are on Christmas Eve Eve this year and then Christmas Eve. The tickets that are going out for this thing, I think we've already got like 1,500, 1,800 tickets are already out. And so we want to make sure you and your family and your friends have a place. You can get online. You can see the website there, horizoncc.com backslash Christmas. Grab your tickets. They're complimentary. We want to make sure there's a place for everybody. And also next week, we're going to continue our tradition we started last year, which is we're going to have Christmas carols and readings next week together. So if you love seeing Christmas carols together, hear scripture readings together, and then Drew's going to share a message with us, um, join us next week for that, all three services as we celebrate. Thanks for being here. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in a few weeks.